Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, this is the Relunchables podcast. I'm Jordan Holzer, and each episode, we'll be breaking down another 90s, early 2000s kids movie. I am not alone. Each episode, I'll be having on special guests to help me relive my childhood. This is a bonus episode in which I bring on one of the stars of Brink, Jeffrey Blake, who played the iconic role of Jimmy, the coach slash promoter slash, I don't even know, of uh, Team X-Blade. So my listeners will, of course, know some of Jeffrey's other work, including Forrest Gump, and most recently, The Man in the High Castle and Godfather of Harlem on Epics. So let's get into my interview with Jeffrey Blake, and just because I love hearing it, let's play the Disney Channel original movie, Intro Music. Uh, we are now joined by one of the stars of Brink, Jeffrey Blake. Jeffrey, thank you so much for coming on the Relunchables podcast. Hey, my pleasure. If we went through your IMDb, we'd honestly be here all day. It's over 100 credits. You've been in some of the most iconic films of our time, Forrest Gump, EdTV, even most recently Midway and many more. For my first question, do you get stopped all the time on the street where people look at you and they think they know you from somewhere or, you know, people think maybe they're your friend, but they've actually just seen you on TV? Uh, that is exactly correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, two, three, four times a day. Uh, um, my friend, uh, you know, who Alan Ruck is from Ferris Bueller. Yeah. 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 He and I, uh, we joke that uh, our careers and our path, although he's on succession right now, so he's doing quite well. Um, is that our life's journey is no, I'm the other guy. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I can even remember uh, I was standing out at the bluffs in, at, by Pepperdine. I was taking my son and his friend on a on a like to the tide pools or something, and we pulled in because one of them had to use the restroom. And one of those um, like LA tour buses pulled up, and I happened to be standing out there. And the guy literally blasted to this group of tourists on the open air bus really loudly. Hey, it's that guy. (laughs) I guess that sums it up right there. Uh, I guess you have to kind of embrace that role. You never know when you're trying to get into this business, you know, what your career is going to look like. I'm sure you're just thankful to be getting consistent work that you don't mind if you're that guy. No, no, I'm blessed. I, uh, I love being that guy. And, um, it's, uh, I was talking about it yesterday. I, te- I teach a, an acting class at the Actress Studio, and I, I was um, talking about how how the goal would be to build a career where you can work all the time, and that you get a reputation as being a professional, an actor's actor, as they call it. And uh, you, uh, the, the 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 credo of that and the proof of that is that you continue to be rehired by the same directors, which is uh, which is a nice thing. You definitely do. Uh, Before we get into Brink, which is why, of course, we're having you on this episode, I want to go further back. And how did you get started acting? Um, As a kid, a little bit. I did theater um, up in Northern California. 
uh, ACT in San Francisco. And then, um, you know, pretty much uh, between New York and Los Angeles, did a lot of theater as a youngster. So ended up um, going to uh, USC for a little bit, um, to the theater department there. Uh, me and Eric Stoltz and Forrest Whitaker, Anthony Edwards, Ali Sheedy, we were all in the same class, Kate Donovan. Uh, and then um, from there, in my very early 20s, we left USC, a lot of us, and we were invited to join a, a place called The Loft Studio. Um, and The Loft Studio was a four-day-a-week training program where you went to acting class four hours a day, every day. Five days, actually, the fifth day was an extra day. And literally in that class, uh, Peggy Fury was the name of the teacher there. You had to be invited. And in the young professional class, it was... Me, Forrest, Laura Dern, Meg Ryan, Meg Tilly, uh, Eric Stoltz, Sean Penn, Chris Penn, Nicholas Cage, Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, um, who am I missing? Uh, Kira Sedgwick. Uh, this was all just one class. Oh my God. <laughs> we would show up and we'd do scene work and exercise work. And, and uh, we've all been, and even some great directors were in that class. Like Tom Shadyak was, was in the class. He was acting at the time so journey and then uh from there we all started uh it kind of became the uh that was like in the 80s so it became kind of the the teen movie crush so we all started working like crazy you know i did a teen movie called secret admirer with c thomas howell and and then eric and those guys were doing like fast times at ridgemont high and i auditioned for fast times and did not get hired uh <laughs> ironically it was actually at the pilot did a spinoff of a series of that and uh i said uh, i would not touch sean penn's role with a 10-foot ball it's iconic there's no <laughs> way you can, there's no there's nothing good that could come from that <laughs> journey and then uh started working did uh, i think my first couple of jobs were were like those uh after school specials you know the kind of one hour movies that were about teenagers and their uh, kind of pre-Disney channel um, and their plights. I did one called uh, uh, But It's Not My Fault. Uh, and then I did another one with um, that Henry Winkler directed with me and Scott Bayo. And I can't remember what the name of that was. But, uh, anyway, <laughs> so that one was about uh, all the kids do it. That's what it was called. It was about drinking and driving. And of course, I played the you know, corrupt friend who was the drinker and driver because that's what I do in my career. <laughs> I played that guy. You've also worked a great deal with Emilio Estevez in, in many of his films. Uh, yeah. And he's such an iconic actor from Breakfast Club to The Mighty Ducks. And I'm excited he's going to do a reboot of The Mighty Ducks for Disney+. Plus. Yeah. How did that collaboration start? You know, it, we're still to this day very, very dear friends. Um, it started on Young Guns. We, uh, we met on Young Guns. Um, Young Guns with the, was um, just a great experience. I mean, it was just young young guys playing cowboy in a big movie from and So we became friends on Young Guns and then um, started writing and directing a lot and uh, always working with that. He would always write something for me. And uh, I would come and, uh, and do it. I think we've done four or five movies together. And then... I did a couple of movies with his dad as well. Uh, you've also frequently worked with Ron Howard and Robert Zemeckis and, you know, two iconic directors of our time. 
how does that do you just build relationships with their casting directors what how do you get cast in so many of their films uh i think it goes back to that that again that that um blessed that you're you're somebody that they go to um bob zemeckis and i he you know he used for a while there he called me his good luck charm <laughs> i remember when he was casting uh, castaway and i went in for my fitting and literally the only two actors they knew at that particular point were going to be in the film were me and Tom Hanks. And I said, oh my God. <laughs> I joked with, I joked with, uh, with my agent. I go, well, can we do like favored nations? Can we, they, <laughs> um, but no, it, uh, for those, that little run there, he, there was always something, uh, something for me to do, uh, in one of his films and, uh, had a great collaboration with him still do. And, and loved, uh, I think contact again, was one of my favorite movies to make. Um, working with Jody was like a dream dump. You know, is still probably the most iconic role I've done, and still gets recognized the most. Uh, was thrilled to actually make the uh, Tom Hanks tribute, <laughs> but I've done a bunch of movies. Um, so um, I would say that, and then Ron, uh, I just I met the Jane Jenkins, yes, the casting director, and pretty much all of us. There's a whole group of us other guy actors who are all still doing <laughs> well. And we call ourselves the girls of Apollo 13 um, <laughs> because we we all have stayed in touch and we all tend to to work together a lot in other projects. So if you linked us, you know, six degrees of Apollo 13, you would find pretty much the joke in those days. If you're not one of the actors of a certain age, you're not and a white guy and you're not an Apollo 13, <laughs> you need to get a new agent. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was me and Xander Berkeley and Ray McKinnon, and, and you know, that's where I met Bill Paxton for the first time, and uh, that became a, a lifelong friendship and a lifelong collaboration as well. Um, and a lot in that Vaughn, I'm still friends with all of those guys in the community. So you never did get that uh, MFN with Tom Hanks for the jet and, you know, the uh, luxury apartment and all that, no? No. <laughs> never have gotten the jet. Actually, we've been months on a private jet for contact. Um, but actually, we got a big DC-9 for the majority of us to fly down to Puerto Rico. And, and Jody and company were in the uh, Matthew McConaughey, I think, were in Bob's Gulfstream. So. <laughs> Let's get on to why I had you here on the Relunchables podcast. And that's, of course, to talk about your iconic role as, as Jimmy on Brink. And I'm curious, how did that come to be? What was the casting process? I know I'm taking you way back in the time machine here. Wow. I, it, it's so interesting because... That's like, it was such, at the time, it was like, it's like, oh, sure. You know, I remember my agent calling me and saying, hey, will you come, they want you to come do this, this, uh, this kid uh, rollerblading movie for Disney, blah, 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 blah. And uh, you're going to be playing this kind of, you know, they're, they're envisioning it kind of as a, a young Michael Douglas, Wall Street kind of guy <laughs> came to mind. And I literally had a whim said, you know, I had some time in my schedule. I don't know what I was doing else at the time. And I looked at the numbers and the main draw was I literally, I lived on the Venice canals at the time. And so literally I could get up and walk to work. It was like five blocks from my house. And I thought, you know, I'll sure I'll, it's fun. It's cute. Nobody will ever see this. You know? <laughs> What's the Disney channel? What is that? And um, to this day, it still shocks me as to how many people call me Jimmy. <laughs> and there's a certain age range. There's a, a certain look. Pretty much, I think it's the millennials there. Because that's, that's <laughs> the teenagers. So the kids now who are 
they're probably in their early 30s, maybe hitting on 40. Uh, and some even, I, even some of the kids go back to the that have revisited retroly. Um, but yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy is still somebody they uh, they seem to uh, recognize me for. And I guess a little bit, maybe also because it is one of the characters where I actually somewhat look like myself. And that's the one thing rewatching Brink is just the incredible scenes of the Santa Monica Pier all the way down to Venice. It's just yeah. beautifully shot. And that's where that's where I live, and that's my where I've always lived. So, uh, and the thing is, it, it's ironic that you're doing this right now because um, I hadn't even thought about that. Uh, just the occasional <laughs> to a street, but uh, now that Disney Channel came up and all that, it, it's it hadn't been out there for a while, but it's suddenly available everywhere on streaming. So. My 10-year-old Dashiell, I have a 10-year-old and a 14-year-old, soon to be 11 and 15, but my 10-year-old Dashiell is uh, a huge skateboard guy, huge skate. <laughs> um, and um, so he he discovered it, and he's been watching. I mean, I've been, it's been while we're locked here in our house. He's been watching it. I, I think Brink has been on our TV at least four or five times over the last two days. <laughs> Jimmy has realized, and we're actually, I have a pretty uh, pretty successful writing career. Um, with my wife as well and we literally you know don't tell anybody this top secret um we literally thought about maybe even us while we're sitting here locked down just dashing out a a, a brink too and oh man set it in the and set it in the skate world instead of a skater boy like brink two skater boy and then you know brink the, the young actor who played brink uh certainly is old enough now to have an 11 year old or a 10 year old um and so and i think he's he lived on the canals for a while he was my neighbor for a while and um you know maybe tie that in you know jimmy can be a hedge fund guy now and <laughs> um, rolling in it and, and invested in probably some evil version of tony hawk or something or <laughs> you know jimmy nowadays would be all over instagram promoting his product it's a hundred percent sure Probably has a person, you know, probably invested very early in Facebook. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Oh, definitely. And especially with the resurgence of, you know, Cobra Kai, I could definitely see something where maybe Jimmy is, you know, now down on his luck. And, you know, maybe after X Blades, he lost the team and now he's kind of right. down on his luck. He's maybe sitting on a bench in Venice and he comes across a group of skaters and, you right. know, kind of, you know, starts the whole process over again. This is some breaking news for the Real Lunchables podcast here. Maybe a bring sequel. Uh, <laughs> don't tell anybody else <laughs> you kind of touched on this but i'm curious now with the you know the advent of disney plus and all these old yeah. movies are kind of unlocked out of the vault have you seen a resurgence for brink and i know you said you that your kids are watching it yeah, now there is uh, i haven't seen a check but um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I, I i think uh yeah like you said i think it kind of if in a lot of ways, it follows that that same kind of vibe as as Karate Kid. You know, it's got the same storyline basically, with you know, the X Bladers being the X team being the Cobra Guy team, even in yellow, in the same yellow and black. <laughs> no, 100%. And the movie aired back in you know August 29th, 98, I believe. And I guess you can't even fathom nowadays with all the different options for watching you know TV shows and all the different networks. Just how many people watched those Disney Channel original movies? It was right. well into, you know, six, seven million people, six million viewers. After that movie was released, do you remember, like, just a bunch of people stopping you on the street after that, or not really? I don't know. I, 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 I was, it's funny, I, I was, 
Maybe, yes, probably, like I said, a certain age bracket of kids, maybe at the mall or something. Uh, I didn't have kids at the time. So um, the 90, it's, it's funny, when we were shooting Texas Rangers, um, Tex, <coughs> yeah, te- uh, Texas Rising, which was called Texas Rangers, poetic. When we were shooting Texas Rising, I, I remember we, there was, we were sitting on a, it was me and Bill Paxton and John Sheck and Kristen Glover. Chris McDonald and uh, Jeffrey B. Morgan, all in this one one shot, and we were, we were sitting on our horses in this huge John Ford train track, and we were looking over the battlefield in this area that we shot. It was taking forever. <laughs> the weather and deep Mexico and the rural location. And I remember just looking down the line of all of us gentlemen, all of us actors, and Jeff Fahey was there as well, and, and I just I just started laughing. And Paxton says, Blake, we're so funny. I go, <laughs> we were huge in the night. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I think, um, I think so 98, that was, you know, Gump was just out. You know, Young Guns had been out for a while. Uh, so, yeah, I was pretty high profile at, at that time. Your break was, was thrown in. Like I said, it literally was this, this little, you know, I, I, this little thing I shot, I had no idea what Disney Channel really was because I didn't have kids. And I thought, you know, sure, it's a lark. It's harmless. No, nobody's, you know, who's going to see this? It's great, you know. Uh, and I said, the motivation was I get to go my neighborhood, walk to work, and hang around with these uh, these kids who are skating and these stuntmen who are doing all these flips and turns. And, um, never, never thought, it, <laughs> thought that was it, you know. <laughs> Go away and be a happy little place somewhere, a little gem. I ended up working with Greg again, though, actually. Yeah. I can't remember on what. It was <laughs> about that last night. It was, it, was a, it was a guest. It may have been Leverage. That might be what it was. I don't know. It may have been Leverage. It may have been, it may have been Grim, but I don't think it was Grim. It was something, one of those shows. <laughs> um, yeah. I'd have to look it up. He's a good guy. I think it was leverage. But no, it wasn't because that was <laughs> I don't know. Greg and I did something. You know what it was? I actually do know what it was. And I can't remember the name of it. It was um it was a show that Eric McCormick did on TNT where he was playing like somebody who was like investigating space. I don't I don't hmm. know. Yeah, it was a couple years ago. So that's how much I work. I don't even remember what the show is or where it was or exactly what the name of it was. Or, that could just be old age, too. But. Given how many things you've been in, it probably just all blurs together at some point. In a lot of ways, it does. You tend to remember the films, the iconic films, and then you remember the, the you know, iconic series stuff you do that becomes like, you know, like right now I'm on a series, um, Godfather of Harlem on, on Epics. And you remember that? I I remember doing the pilot for for uh, Man in the High Castle just because that became such a kind of culturally yeah. iconic show. Um, and then the stuff where you go in and it, it's great to do. You just go in, you shoot, you know, the 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 bad guy of the week guys. Those are the ones that kind of blend together. So I remember Gary Glassberg. He used to be the showrunner, made recipes of of uh, NCIS, and he sent me a script. And I uh, said, Jeffrey, you're going to be getting the script and, and blah, blah, blah. He had this wonderful voice. <laughs> so you're going to read the script and you're going to think that you're this one guy. 
but you're not. Because the fact of the matter is, Jeffrey, when you come on the screen on network television, we know you did it. <laughs> Just that guy who always does it. I'm sending you a script, and this is back to my friend Alan Ruck again. I'm sending you this script, and you're going to think you're this one guy, but you're not. Alan Ruck is going to play that guy, because let's face it, when Alan comes on screen, nobody thinks that he did it. So you're going to play the role that Alan would normally play, and he's going to play the role that you play. I said, great. Sign me up. <laughs> Breaking the typecast there. I love it. I would regret not having you on and, and, and not talking about the late Gary Shandling. Of course, you worked with him on It's Gary Shandling Show. I believe you're on the initial run of episodes. This was, of course, his Showtime sitcom before you went on to do the Larry Sanders Show on HBO. Uh, what memories do you have of him? I watched the Judd Apatow documentary that he did, which was just phenomenal. Yeah, um, again, that, that was a, a groundbreaking show because um, it was like it was the very first. We actually started on Fox for the first couple of episodes, and then they switched it over to be literally one of the very first Showtime series ever. Mm. Um, it was also iconic in a way that it was the first time that it was a guy playing himself, playing himself, and the, the, which now has become very commonplace. And one of the first guys to break the fourth wall and, and talk to the camera. Um, so I did the first season, and then it kind of came very, very clear that the show was going a different direction and that they weren't finding the character's name was Lewis. Um, they weren't finding much for Lewis to do. And so we kind of just mutually agreed. And that's when I was getting lots of offers to do Gump and, and Young Guns and those kind of things. So we decided that, hey, you know what, this is great. Go on. But um, I think the main thing I remember that was it was kind of the first time I'd ever seen Gary was kind of the kind of the Pied Piper of comedians. Like he was so revered by stand-up comedy world and he was very social with them and they all kind of congregated at his house a lot and, and um, I wasn't a comic so uh, so was, I didn't know who these guys but by the time that thing you know Louis C.K. and David Sage you know, Sandler all those guys just you know, they would just come down to the set get a basketball court on the set and pick up basketball back so they'd come down and just play basketball all day and just you know be like you know I remember Norm McDonald was always around. Always complaining about everything. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I got to meet the uh, the uh, the comedians of that time, and that was a pretty big deal in those times. So, and all those guys have all become like huge, and a lot of become big writers as well. Apto, perfect example. Oh yeah, uh, Jeffrey, I can't thank you enough for your time. I just had five quick rapid fire questions. If you're ready, I'm ready. Go one. What is it? Are there any TV shows you're currently binging during this quarantine? Ozarks. Great, great third season. Did you get to keep that neon windbreaker from Brink or not? No, but I sure would love to find it. I do have a lot of other stuff I kept. Though. Actually, you know, my favorite thing at Brink that I wish I had, literally, and they were, they were given to me, they were, I was turned on to them because Charlie Sheen wore them. They were the, the Stussy Blue Sunglasses. And she, they were like Sheen's signature in that particular time. And I even remember the place. It's still there on Venice Boardwalk. Sea Optics or something. And I actually <laughs> bought them there. And I kept losing them, kept breaking them. And by the time, I don't have the original pair, but by the time, I think in the ninth, I must have bought 10 pairs of these. <laughs> and I would wait day if I could find them. And Stussy, and Stussy wasn't even a big company then. So I, I missed the Stussy sunglasses. The Windbreaker probably wouldn't have worn so much. 
But I do yeah, miss glasses. I do still have the glasses from Gump that I do wear a lot. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, maybe those maybe those sunglasses for Brink should maybe stay in the 90s. But like you said, they're making a comeback. Yeah. <laughs> You've worked with so many iconic filmmakers and actors. Is there anyone, and maybe not because it's just so routine for you, anyone that you've become awestruck or you kind of want to fanboy out a little bit when you met them, but you couldn't? It's not my style. You know, I... I, I um... I just look at them as wonderful human beings and sometimes not so wonderful human beings. Um, so no, I've never been, I've never been starstruck. And, and I think um, I just, I know that I'm a really good actor so that I can, and, but I also know, I know the life and, and the role of a supporting actor. And that is to really be there to support that star, you know? So, and, and I think that's why I got to do it again and again. I, I like to support Tom Hanks. I like to support Jodie Foster. I like right now I'm, I'm having the blessed opportunity of doing all my work with Giancarlo Esposito. Mm. And just, just for you. It's unbelievable, yeah. It's it's an unbelievable experience. And no intimidation there whatsoever. We just, we hit the ground running and it was great. So. What is your favorite, and I don't know if you're going to have an answer to this, but do you have a favorite Disney Channel original movie aside from Brink? And if you haven't seen the others, you could just bring up maybe a kid's movie that you really enjoy. Um, I don't know if I've seen a Disney kid movie other than that. I do, obviously, I, I do love the Mighty Duck series because I love Emilio. Um, and, you know, maybe I'll do something in the, the, the upcoming remake. Um, play some bad guy there, play a version of Jimmy. Um, so I would go with that probably. And I, I don't even think I saw high school musical. I don't think I ever saw any of those things. I guess I'll probably now that I have a 10 year old, but he's, he's pretty, you know, he's pretty advanced. So I don't think he's, I, I think he's, he's jumped the shark as far as Disney movies are concerned. So. Gotcha. Yeah, I won't admit that I still watch those even to this day. Uh, last one, and I think you kind of mentioned this because the last one was about a potential sequel, which may be in the works. Uh, so I'll switch it up and just ask you, what's your favorite restaurant in Venice? My favorite restaurant in Venice? Um, well, I would say food-wise, Jelena, but I am uh. so pretentious and I can't afford it. <laughs> it's one of the great restaurants. It totally is. The food is amazing. Um, and, um, daily there is a great little tiny, and it's right in the brink. There's a place called the Chihuahua Taqueria. Hmm. I don't want to put a flood in there. It's this <laughs> tiny little strip mall on Washington Boulevard, right? Where, where Venice meets Marina Del Rey. And it's, it literally, how you know it's good is that it's, it's literally street Mexican food. It's street, little street tacos mainly cheap amazing and how you know it's great it's like all of the hispanic construction work <laughs> this is their spot man they just flood it i must eat there even now i must eat there four or five times a week oh it's, man it's just the flavor is amazing the quality is amazing it uh literally you know, i can feed all of us for 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 a great price and it's fresh and the salsa they home make their own salsa the tortillas are great i mean it's just a great little you know, I picked up a uh, love of, of street taco. I like street taco trucks, too, so I like the truck. And you got one of those uh, food truck Fridays there in Abbot Kinney, so you uh, have all the food trucks over there. Where is this? You look, where is this place? <laughs> I'm in uh, Westwood. Okay, there you go. I used to live over there for a little bit. Jeffrey, I can't thank you enough for coming on the Relunchables podcast. I really appreciate it. All right. Enjoy. Uh, hello, Relunchable people. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, 
check me out on IMDb. Although I took my real off IMDb. I don't know why, but I did. Anyway, uh, just uh, enjoy Brink. And uh, Jimmy says, uh, peace out. You know, skull skaters forever, I guess. I would like to thank my guest, Jeffrey Blake, for coming on the podcast. You can subscribe to the Relunchables podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us a rating or review, five stars only. This week, we're also going to be joined by acclaimed actress Robin Riker, who played Brink's mom, Maddie. So stay tuned. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube